So this week, my family and I got back from what was a very uh, different vacation than I planned. Always, I had wanted to, some of y'all know, I, I love the outdoors. I'd always wanted to camp on a beach. So in my brain, we're going to camp on a beach, and it'll be the first camping trip my family's ever gone on, because that's going to go great. And uh, it did, other than the giant hurricane in the Atlantic. Um, I didn't, wasn't getting news. I don't know if they ever named it, but it, it was a big one. And uh, we ended up canceling a few of those nights in a motel, but uh, we had fun. But the reason I say all of that is two weeks ago tomorrow was my last, would have been my last week work day before going on vacation. And if you've ever had a stretch where you've needed a vacation, think back to that feeling of that last day. I mean, it's like 10 o'clock. I'm like, come on, you know, and you're just ready to go. And I remember that feeling closing my iPad at the end of the day getting in my truck and starting it and it's like and just instantly the stress level just plummeted and uh, even though again it was a little eventful vacation it was wonderful to have that sigh of relief that that just the stress wasn't there so I want you to think with me this week, as, as we come off of last week's sermon, as we're walking through the book of Hebrews, if, if you're new with us, this is what we do. We just, we just take a book of the Bible and we walk through it 90% of the time. We've been going through Hebrews. We've been in Hebrews 4. We're at a transition point, so I'll, I'll describe that to you in a little bit in case you weren't here last week. But last week was a heavy sermon. It was, it was like, you're going to hell if you don't do this kind of sermon. I mean, it was weighty and it, it seemed overwhelming. And so today as we come into it, the writer of Hebrews knows where all we are because he, like us, was a, was a person. He was a real human. He faced whatever struggles he faced. He gives us that. And so my prayer for you today Brothers and sisters whom I love and I know, my begging of God today is that you today, this morning, would feel that relief from the Scriptures. Not from me. I can't bring it to you. But, but Christ can. And today we're going to hear about who Jesus is, another aspect of that, and how that hits you at your worst moments. We feel pretty good at our best moments, right? You know, those, those times when we want everybody to be looking. But this text today is about the worst moment. It's about that moment when sin is trying to grab your soul and drag it into deep darkness. Today's sermon, today's text is all about that moment. When you realize you've just done it again. Not for the second time, but for the three millionth. That same thing that grabs you and pulls you and pulls you and pulls you. And you just can't seem to get free. And I have good news for you before we go any further. The answer to the sermon, the end of the sermon, the conclusion of the sermon isn't try harder. It isn't do better. It isn't come on. This 
is one of those moments right before the vacation. Or that moment when you look out and you see the sunset. Or that moment where you lay your head on your pillow and you just crash and sleep. This is the moment of comfort. So let me review and let, let's get there. Let's make sure we get there with the author of Hebrews so that we feel the weight of this thing. So we start with the beginning of the book and he says, Jesus is better than anything. And then he starts going through and counting the things that Jesus is better than. And we started with angels. Or in other words, Jesus is better than any supernatural being out there. Jesus doesn't even compare. He is so far beyond and better than any other supernatural thing that you could come up with. And the conclusion of that, he goes in and says, and not only that, not only is he better than anything supernatural, he became human. And so then he says, well, what about people? Let's compare Jesus to some folks out there. So name the big ones. And he starts comparing Jesus to Moses and Joshua. And he says he's better than all those people too. And so now we're to a new section. And it's, it's a little bit different. It's not just angels or, or Moses primarily. And then right at the end, Joshua. He compares Jesus to kind of a, a vocation or, or a calling. And he compares Jesus to the Old Testament priesthoods. Jesus is the anointed one. That's what Christ means. Jesus Christ, that's actually not his last name. It's a title. It means anointed one or crowned or coronated one. And uh, he was crowned or he was anointed prophet, priest, and king. And so we're going to talk about this priesthood of Jesus for the next several weeks. This is a big chunk because we're going to go through multiple priesthoods of the Old Testament. And now that, that sounds, you know, all right, what, what, you know, we don't even have priests today. What are we, you know, why do we even need to deal with this? But think about this. These were the spiritual people that you went to of that day. These were the people who made the sacrifice. So when you sinned, you had to take a critter and they would go kill it for you. And it was brutal and it was bloody. I mean, it was not like a subtle, humane thing. I mean, it was, it was an ugly thing. It was supposed to be ugly because our sin's so ugly. And then they would go to God for you. They were the mediator. And that's how you received forgiveness. That's how you commune. That's how you talked with God is you went to the priest. And the priest couldn't be anybody. It was a select group of people. And Moses said it was, it was the Levites. That was a, a tribe. And then it was actually within the Levites, it was all of Aaron's family. That was his brother. So all his line, these people had to be set apart. But, but here was the problem. They were human just like us too. So they had their own problems. They had their own sin. But they were still this mediator. So that time when you were scared, when you felt all that guilt, you didn't have to go directly into the holy presence of God because you would have been thumped. He, he's a holy, perfect God. You can't go there with your sin. So you had a mediator to go for you. And what he's about to argue all through this next section is how much better of a mediator, of a priest, Jesus is. So there is no spiritual guru, there's no spiritual source, there's no spiritual book besides Jesus that can get you to God like Him. 
And we find that Jesus himself is revealed in the Scripture. So no leader, no mediator, no self-help guy can get you through that temptation like Jesus. So let me just define a couple terms. What is a priest? We're gonna, you're going to hear the word priest like forever for the next little bit, all right? Over and over and over. So a priest was an anointed person. It was a set-aside person who was to mediate between people and God, to offer sacrifices, and he was kind of the covenant of God usher. He was the one that took you, just like our ushers back there, they had to get seats and got everybody situated, I hope, and pray. Uh, we were able to get everybody in here. They, they got you in, right? And they got you seated and they got you comfortable. The priests were the people who got you in to God. And now Jesus has come and one up them to an infinite degree. So now we don't go through a priest. Now we don't go through a flawed human who had to deal with his own sin, his own problems. We have the incarnate, made flesh, Word of God, revealed by the completed Word of God. Remember the end of last week's sermon? But that could be scary, right? Remember how the last verse ended? If you have your Bible, open them to Hebrews chapter 4. I want to read this with you. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Talking about the connection between the written Word of God and the incarnate Word of God, Jesus. But I want you to catch, what does Jesus see? Listen. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirits, of joints and marrow, as deep as you can get, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We're not just talking about those sins that everybody sees. The big one that you can point your finger on. We're talking about what you thought last night those words you said in your head the inside the head voice that you actually managed to keep inside the head we're talking about those verse 13 and no creature is hidden from his sight all those things that we don't want everybody to know because they'd hate us he knows but all are naked and exposed the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That's terrifying, right? He sees it all. That thing that nobody knows, he, he knows. He sees. So we're laid bare before him so in this this explosive moment in the text when we get to verse 14 it, it's amazing where he goes because where we would assume as all us people he would go is now look how bad you are and he goes the absolute opposite and he gives the greatest invitation in the universe so listen, and let's read our text for today. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. It says, Since then, 
we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Rather than saying, Jesus sees that thing, run and hide. We get the truth of Scripture and we see grace. It's not run and hide. It's run right in to the throne room. It's the opposite of everything that goes in our soul when we realize how sinful we are. It's that Jesus is so much better than that other mediator. So I have four things I want to kind of break this text down in. There's, there's two of them that are like the foundation. These are the basis. And then two things that we're to apply. Things we're to do. The let us in Hebrew, is like, that's like ringing a bell. Ding, 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 do this. And so we've got two of those in here. So the first point there, you can follow along in your worship guide if you'd like to. Jesus was tempted just like you. Jesus was tempted just like you. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The eternal trinity. This is how God has always been, will always be, in absolute perfection. And you couldn't touch God. There's a doctrine called the impassibility of God big fancy word, it means that you can't get God riled up. He's God. Um, one of the things that um, my, my kids are in karate right now, they love sparring, I'll work with them on sparring. And so they'll, they'll pad up, they'll get all their gloves on, I won't even bother. And Because and, they, can't, they can't get me, right? You know, even if their, their worst gut punch, you know, they're, they're only right here, right? And, and so, like, I'm not worried. They're not going to affect me, and we can work on stuff with them. But that's, that's like, zoom that way forward here. And think about God. You can't punch God in the face hard enough to do anything. Like, he's God, right? How are you going to get to him? There, there are things that you can do to irritate me. I'll, I'll be honest. It's not that hard. There is nothing you can do that's going to change the course of the universe, right? God's way too big for that. But in the incarnation, in what happened with Jesus Christ, God, eternal God, God the Son, came down and took on a real human body. He was 100% God, but He became 100% human. Not 50-50. Like, He was totally human. And if you punched Jesus when he was on this earth, he got a black eye and it really hurt and he got mad. He didn't sin in that. But like, he was really, really human. And just like every human out there, just like us, he was tempted to sin. How many times have you felt in that moment, that darkness, 
And nobody understands how bad this is. Nobody gets it. Nobody's in this spot like me. Why don't we go there and we feel that? Nobody could understand this one. I mean, I know they've been, there are other people, they've been through some stuff, but like, you don't understand. And this is the amazing statement that yes, Jesus does. I may not. I may not have been through that. But Christ did. Now you may say, well, I mean, yeah, he was God. He kind of had the, the, the trump button that like, bing, you know, universe changes. But he didn't. Think about this. C.S. Lewis gave an amazing illustration. Um, so brilliant. Such a brilliant dude. He talks about, have you ever been in like a legit wind? I mean, the kind of wind where you're, you're like stumbling. You're working through the wind. Remember a few times up in Colorado that, that winds would come through and they would, they would flash through kind of the canyons. And I mean, it was wind. And you're just fighting to walk forward in the wind. He compares that to temptation. That, that's kind of what it feels like sometimes, right? It's just like every step is like taking everything about you and you're just that close all the time to falling down because of this. I, I think of the like goofy... It, and if there's going to be a hurricane... There's going to be some doofus trying to give a news report in the hurricane, right? You know, and what's really funny is when they fake it and you see the guy like walking down the street behind him. But you know, it's, it's, I mean, picture the guy in there just trying like the real one, really trying to fight this wind and just bare, I mean, just being that close to falling. Now, think with me. Let's two doofus reporters in the hurricane, right? OK, two of them standing there. They're both fighting the wind. Both the same. One falls down. The other one's still fighting the wind. Who feels the wind more? The one who didn't fall down, right? Every time we think, oh, Jesus really couldn't understand this one. No, 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 no. He understands it because he went through even more. He was in the wind and he was fighting against the wind just like you, but you dropped and he kept on going. He never fell. He got the full force of the wind. I mean, think about what this means for Jesus. Think about this. He didn't want to share his toys when he was a little baby. And he always did. Think about this one, kids. All right, I was proud of myself on this one. He actually did know more than his parents, and he still obeyed them. I mean, think, like, right? He actually did know more of them. He was a hormonal teenager and never a grump. He never rolled his eyes at his mom. He never fell into sexual sin one single time. He dealt with bad governments, ridiculous requests, people who hated him, sickness, pain, betrayal, and yet never lost his temper like I do all the time. He never said that thing to the guy who cut him off with the donkey. He 
Some of y'all are getting that now. <laughs> but beyond all of this, beyond all of this, he hung on a cross after being tortured to near death, listening to people insult him, all the while he was holding their molecular structure together as God the Son so they didn't end up on a splat on the pavement. He was giving them the breath that they were expelling in an insult against them. I miss lunch, and you don't want to be around me. Jesus went 40 days and 40 nights with no food and still lived through temptation without sin. Think about this. Jesus went toe-to-toe with the devil, with Satan himself. Not in some theoretical form of, you know, yeah, the devil's really after me. No, like, the dude was there talking to Jesus. And Jesus kept standing and walking upwind. He suffered even more than that worst time you think you suffered in temptation. He kept going. Jesus struggled in temptation. He was tempted. Just like you, but but even more because he withstood it but not only did jesus actually get tempted this verse says something incredible it says that jesus struggles with you when you are tempted now i want to read this verse again verse 15 look at it again here for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So we got, we, we've talked about the tempted as we are, yet without sin, right? We get that. He, he suffered even more. He understands it even more. But this beginning of verse 15 is so important. He's not unable to sympathize. In other words, he sympathizes with our weaknesses. So just like I've heard stories, I've, I've never served in the military, but just like I've, I've heard stories and seen folks who've been in the military for, for long times and gone through hard things, they get around another military guy and it's like, just boom, instant connection. I mean, they're, they're going and talking, 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 talking. Jesus has been through that exact same struggle with you. There is a camaraderie with Christ if you have trusted Him that is beyond anything we could just put our finger on and understand why it's there because He's been through the same hard things. He's our spiritual brother in arms. He's been there. He's seen that darkness, but He walked all the way through it. But that word sympathize is so much more then we make it. So sometimes we'll go back and say, you know, the, the Bible's originally written in Greek. We have these amazing translations. They're so, so accurate. But sometimes we say, hey, there's, there's something um, that if you understood this Greek, we want you to get because it, it's more than our English words work to convey that. This is not one of those times. The word sympathize is the Greek word. It's sympatheo. 
We shortened it a little bit and made it sound cooler, right? Sympathize is a Greek word, and we cut it so short. So just parts of a word, right? Okay, grammar school here for all my elementary kids, right? There's prefixes and there's root words, right? You can take a word that means something, add a prefix to it, and it, it, it enhances or changes that word. Pathos, the root of this, means to suffer. The heart of sympathy is, is that someone is suffering. And the prefix means with. So, so what that word, when we say, I am sympathizing with someone, the, the word actually means you are suffering with them. You're, you're entering into their suffering. And what's so amazing about this text is that it says Jesus, the Jesus, the one in the Bible, suffers with you when you are tempted. He's not somewhere out there looking down. He's there. He is suffering in that temptation with you. He's feeling the struggle. Remember we talked about God, the eternal God. He couldn't take a hit because He's God. But Jesus came down and He is flesh. Jesus, when He was resurrected, He still had a body. He didn't just become a ghost, you know, ooey, ooey, floating through the wall thing. He really raised from the dead. He still has that body. He is still to this day and forever will be 100% human and 100% God. So He can feel that moment with you. So wish I would have understood this earlier. I so wish I understood it better today. But I remember dark, dark days fighting deep depression. Suicidal thoughts. And I thought I was alone and nobody got it. But this verse here says that is absolutely wrong. Jesus is there. And Jesus does get it. He feels it. He is suffering with you. So in those dark days, when you feel you can't face it, the step is up, but it won't go forward. Jesus is there. Jesus suffers with you. He loves you that much. He enters into that very moment. So, what do we do? Two things. I want you to look back in the text there. We'll look at verse 14. Since then we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Here it is. Let us hold fast to our confession. So at the very beginning of this service, we sang the gospel. That's a song, right? That's the title of the song. We always have to mark that in the planning center, our computer program we use to plan all this because people think we're just going to share the gospel, not sing what we just sang. It's kind of fun. We've had singers like not show up ready to sing because they didn't realize that was a song. But that song says it. Christ died for our sins, raised to life again, we place our faith and our trust in him. Caleb shared that with you. I was a sinner. I I realized this and Jesus saved me. I've placed my trust in him. This gospel, we're to hold fast. That's old English word for don't move, hold strong, 
Hold fast to our confession, the confession that Caleb made. This is the confession, brother, you're to hold fast to for the rest of your life. Growing in Christ is not adding to the gospel. It's understanding it more and more and applying it deeper and deeper and seeing all of its little spiderwebs that go out and connect to everything. So what do you do when you are tempted? You hold fast. You trust Christ more and more and more. And the second thing you do here in verse 16, skip down then. Let us, there's your key words, right? Look through that all through Hebrews. It's, it's an easy thing to see. This is what we do. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If the, this wasn't in the Bible, it would be the most arrogant, heretical, horrible statement in the world. Do, do you get what he's saying here? confidently walk right into God's throne room when you're at the worst. Like, it's the opposite of what we think this ought to be. Like, we, we, if we wrote the Gospel, it's clean yourself up. My goodness, man, pull yourself up. Get out of that. And then maybe talk to God. But the Gospel is the absolute opposite of everything in us. It is at that lowest, worst, most horrible, terrible, nasty moment. Run into God's throne room. It's run to God. I once heard a person, and I wish I could remember who it was, say that the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that when a person sins, a non-Christian runs from God and hides themselves. Remember Adam and Eve and the fig leaves? A Christian runs to God and is forgiving grace. So in that moment of temptation, in that dark place, point number three is hold on to your faith. Hold fast to the confession. Hold on to your faith and run to God when you are tempted. And think about this. This is what we do when we have trouble. I want to read you something. This is one of my favorite devotions. Note to self by Joe Thorne. I have his other devotion lifted in there, uh, listed in there. But that's the wrong bookmark. There we go. Um, this is something our family's reading through, and we came across this a few days ago. You will never make it to the end by trying harder, but by trusting more. I know this works against your natural tendency to want to take care of a situation on your own. You prefer putting your head down and getting to work and making things happen, but this is a dangerous approach to following Christ that is sure to lead to a great fall. For faith and perseverance are not simply matters of willpower and determination. Yes, God does call you to be resolute, but in all that you are called to do and be, you will Fail if you are not depending on God for the strength necessary to make it to the end. I love this statement. Let me read it again. You will never make it to the end by trying harder, but by trusting more. When you are tempted, trust the gospel, trust Jesus, and run to Him. 
Think about this. Anybody been like struggling with murder right now in this last hour? I mean, I, I say that jokingly, but like we don't have a lot of problems and I, I know there's been some horrific situations, but 99.99% of the time, nobody's trying to kill each other in here, right? Nobody's trying to punch each other. We don't have loud outbursts of anger and screaming. Like, we're pretty focused on Jesus, right? <laughs> you know, you're hearing the Bible. That tends to not be the time we're the most tempted when we're singing praise to God and hearing His Word and His love. So, so think about that for a minute. If Christ and focusing on Him keeps you from succumbing to temptation, what ought you do when you're tempted? Run to Jesus. So keep your confession and run into His presence. Open the Scriptures. Pray. Worship. Sing. Hey, nobody will hear you there. I can even sing then. Run to Jesus when you're tempted. That's how the Christian grows when fighting temptation. It's not by pulling your bootstraps up. It's going to Jesus. That's the fourth point there. This is kind of the implied thing, and we see it all through Scripture. Hold on to your faith in Christ and run to God when you crash and burn. Because see, for the Christian, we don't just run to God when we need help. We run to God when we've completely blown it. This is the beauty of the Gospel. It's not dependent on you living through that temptation. Though you should. Though you'll have greater fellowship with God. You'll have less consequences here on earth. There's so many reasons to not succumb to the temptation. But when you do, Good news, brothers and sisters. It's the best news. We, we all sin, right? Sometimes it's so fast. It, we haven't even thought about it. And we've done something wrong, sinful. We've yelled at someone. We've said something ugly. We've, we've said a harsh thing. We've thought something completely inappropriate. We've watched something on our screens that ought never be there. happens so fast but but then there's those times you know those other times when we know full well what is going on because we've been in this exact situation two million times before and we know exactly what our intention is in our heart and we're going to do it anyway we're going there we plan the sin and we execute the plan And then that crushing misery hits. For sinners like me and you. And we've done it again. What could Jesus possibly do for that person who did it again? 
What could God possibly do for someone who planned a rebellion against Him and ran full long into the embrace of the devil? I want to tell you a little story. See if I can answer that. There was a man. He was the younger of two brothers. They were rich. He went to his daddy. He said, I don't give a care in the world about you. Wish you were already dead. I just want my inheritance now. Give it to me. I want to be done with you. And the father in a fit of grace and brokenness divided his household and gave him half of everything he owned. And this man runs off, never coming back. He goes off to another country and he starts blowing cash and living large. He's in the bars. He's in the clubs. And he's that guy. He is spending it and everybody surrounding him till that exact moment when the money runs out. And when he's alone, he's dropped, he's friendless, he's penniless, he's in a foreign country and he has no idea what to do with himself. He finds a job. Slopping pigs. And his employer graciously allows him the great privilege of eating pig slop and living in the pigsty. And this young man who had his entire life before him and has absolutely destroyed it thinks, well, even the guys who work for my dad have it better than this. They at least get real food. He woke up. He, he realized what an idiot he'd been. And he starts the long trek home. And he's working on his speech. As the storybook put it. I'm so sorry, Dad. I, I, I was an idiot. I did it all. I, 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 everything you've told me, I like, I did it all. But I'm out. I'm desperate. Would you, would you please, I beg of you, have the mercy enough to let me work for you? Because... Man, I had to live in the pigsty. Would you, would you at least let me work for you so I can have a reasonable life? He's rehearsing the speech over and over as he's walking all the way to another country. He's walking up the lane to this mansion his dad lived in. All the fields, he's seen them and realizing his entire life is going to be cutting wheat, beating it out. And suddenly, out of nowhere, there's this crazy looking old dude who's lost his cane and is running like nobody's business and wraps his arm around him and grabs him and squeezes him tight. And suddenly... He tries to start the speech. Oh, Dad, I blow. And he gets cut off by his dad screaming. Stop! Stop! My son is home! My son was lost and now he's found. Get him some clothes! He smells like pigs! Get him some clothes! Put a ring on his finger! Go kill a calf! We're having barbecue tonight, man! 
the Bible says. We do at the lowest, darkest hole we could possibly dig. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You. We, we don't know how to come. In that sin and darkness, we're miserable and we can't save ourselves. But Jesus, You have made a way by Your blood shed for us and then Your resurrection where You are there to sympathize and to, to walk with us through the deepest, darkest, worst times. And even when we fall down, You say, run back in. And Jesus, You told the story to tell us that we're embraced by God the Father when we do. That rather than a scolding, we get a barbecue. That rather than the beatdown, we get a hug from the Almighty. So Jesus, we fall down. Let's say we can't do it, but we need You. We trust You, Jesus. So Lord, we proclaim that we're going to hold fast to our confession that You are Lord and You save and that You will even save me and us. And Lord, we're going to run to You. And so Lord, help us and draw us in. Please, please, in Jesus' name. Amen.